0: welcome Freedom Jumper to the Agency Freedom Podcast. This is the show where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. I'm your host, James Jenkins. This is episode 62. And my guest for today is a friend, a colleague, a peer, Mr. Eric Garcia from New Orleans. He is a certified financial planner and investment advisor. He is a financial guy first and an insurance guy second uh, as he would tell you he is uh, the the co-owner of new century financial group and also the, the founder of plan wisely wealth advisors he has a podcast himself called stuff about money they didn't teach you in school eric is one of these high flying high performance guys that could talk with authority on 20 different subjects if he wanted to Uh, really grateful for his friendship uh, and we get all the way in uh, to a lively conversation here uh, in this episode this is a little bit more casual uh, than some of our episodes uh, but we really dig into the content too so don't think that uh, uh, you're going to be able to skip this one without missing out on some of the good stuff Uh, Eric does turn the tables on me a little bit here since he is an accomplished podcast host himself uh, and is asking me some questions here in this episode too. So, episode 62 is about to kick off. Do us a favor, subscribe and leave a review. The number of people listening on a monthly basis is about uh, 6,000 total downloads, almost 2,000 unique people uh, listening to the podcast every month. But if you look at our reviews, we're at barely 1% of those people. So... If you're one of the folks that has not yet subscribed and hasn't left a review, uh, what do we gotta do? Do I uh, put on some tap shoes and dance a jig for you? Let me know uh, what it's gonna take. Uh, If you aren't liking what you hear, then by all means, uh, send us some feedback at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. That's podcast at agencyfreedom.com. I read every one of those emails and reply personally. So let's jump into the bumper and get to episode 62 with my man, Eric Garcia. This is the Agency Freedom
1: Podcast. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry, those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies
0: you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt
1: in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough,
0: you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures,
1: and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back.
0: There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. What's up, Freedom Jumpers? time for another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. And this is almost just a casual conversation between friends here in this episode because my guest is none other than Mr. Eric Garcia, And he was kind enough to write out a very concise intro. So I'm going to read it word for word. And then I will let him uh, introduce himself here uh, in in the flesh. I guess digitally in the flesh because he's not sitting in your living room right now. That'd be kind of weird. Uh, But here we go. Eric is a certified financial planner, a CFP, and an investment advisor with New Century Financial Group and the founder of Plan Wisely Wealth Advisors. He is co owner of Garcia Insurance Services in the fantastic, amazing city of. I added the fantastic and amazing part. He didn't have that in the script. uh, In New Orleans, Louisiana. And if you are from there, you will say Narlins, N A W L I N S. It is one word, Narlins. And if you're not from there, God help you if you call it New Orleans, because all you're saying is, I have no idea how to pronounce it correctly. He is from. Norlins, Louisiana, and he is the co-host of the podcast Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. Eric Garcia, welcome to AFP. How's it going, man?
2: Bro, it's going good. First of all, I think you added about 600 additional words to that. Uh,
0: Guilty. I make no apologies.
2: Second of all, second of all, uh, if you're from New Orleans, you don't say Norlins. Just let me correct that. Oh, That's true. I've true had yeah.
0: lots of locals tell me yeah. it's New Orleans if you're from there. Yeah. But I guess they were wrong. Or maybe there's just more than one way to eh. say it. I don't know.
2: Or well, maybe they're – yeah. Most, most of us don't say New Orleans.
0: Hmm. If you're a certain persuasion, just, just maybe you record. do. All, uh, uh, truth be yeah. told, all of my friends over the years uh, that are from New Orleans, as I'm guessing you probably say – um, they were evacuees from Katrina. And they were yep. from perhaps not the best part of town because they were working in food service at the time. Uh, and Nacogdoches, strangely enough, where I was living at the time, uh, we received, gosh, about 5,000 evacuees in a, in a city that's only mm-hmm. 30,000 people. So it was a big, it was it was a epic, big difference. It was
2: a... It was a um, Katrina was, a, it was like a... It was an epic migration... Of of New Orleanians, I, mean, I think eighty percent. This is New Orleans proper, okay. And there were other parts that that were impacted, not just New Orleans. Eighty percent of the city was underwater. Eighty yeah. percent of a of an American city of I don't know at the time, maybe half a million or six hundred thousand people.
0: Yeah, that's a, a very big number. We're not going to get stuck in the ancient history because at this point that, you know, 2005, August of 2005, Katrina, that was one of the the, the pivotal days in New Orleans history and, and my life, too, because that's the first time I ever really experienced mass devastation. But uh, we're not talking about mass devastation uh, in, in this episode. We're going to get all the way into some hot takes. And I know you are not at all shy about hot takes. I will say very clearly that since you are... Uh, a CFP and an RIA, and you are still answering to the SEC and FINRA, uh, I am going to steer very clear of anything that could be considered even remotely to be investment advice. So fear not. Hey, go where you want to go, man. Go where you want to go and I'll I'll put the kibosh you know, on it. Freedom
2: jumpers, the, Eric and
0: I have a lot of, of rapport. Uh, we have a lot of mutual respect and admiration, lots of friendly banter back and forth for sure. And he was like, hey man, Do me a solid. Let's cool it with the crypto talk because I don't want the SEC doing a digital colonoscopy on me. So um yeah, we're not gonna talk about crypto, even though, man, I sure would love to. It's
2: unregulated. It's unregulated and non registered.
0: So what you're saying is you want to talk about crypto. Not on this podcast. That's a different one, right? I I can hear my wife chirping in my ear (laughs) going, stay on topic. This is an insurance podcast. Stay on topic, James. Nobody wants to hear you talk about crypto. I can spell insurance. So, so here's, why, here's why I wrote out
2: – so some of your listeners are like, why did Eric go through the trouble of writing out his bio for James? I'll tell you why I wrote it out. Because I own an insurance agency. I grew up in the insurance space. And people kind of know me. They, they come to me for like homeowners. Like even today, like I'll into someone. oh, I got to call you for homeowners insurance. I'm like, don't, don't call me. Do not call me for homeowners. Let me, let me tell you who to call. To me, I got, I was out of the insurance. A lot of people don't know this. I got out of the insurance game for about two years. Um, in post, in a post-Katrina, New Orleans, um, I kind of got pulled back to insurance. And in 2008, I totally left insurance. I was working for a captive at the time. Left, went independent on the financial side. And then in 2010 is when I launched the independent agency with my brother, who is my business partner at the time. Because my dad's been in the game for like forty plus years, he was captive for forty something years, and I saw his clients of twenty, thirty years; these relationships just literally walking out the door. And I'm in the same building, so I had relationships with a lot of these mm. people. And I'm like, man, this, these are dollars walking out the door. So I launched the the independent agency with my brother. He ran it. I kind of was the the strategy guy, the visionary, the business end. Went out and got contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let let kind of the the uh, the. Um, the 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 people run the show, and what happened was a few years into it, I realized that I needed to get more involved from a leadership mm-hmm. standpoint because it wasn't growing the way I wanted it to grow, and it was becoming at the time and even today it's my biggest asset on the books so so from an investment standpoint, so if I back up as an investor right as an owner of a company, I own stock in this company, mm-hmm. for example, it was becoming. Um, quickly, my largest asset. And it started to scare me that, oh my gosh, my largest asset is not being run to the way that I want it to be mm-hmm. run. So I literally jumped back in the game, was, was got very involved. Um, and I'm kind of the past, I would say the past three years, I've actually been stepping back further and further and further and distancing myself from the daily operations more mm. and more. Uh, so that's, so I wanted to write out an intro. Yeah, it makes kind of sense. Here's all the different moving pieces and.
0: No, and you are actually, it's very interesting how all of this plays out because you're the second, uh, hybrid, uh, guest that we've had on, uh, back in February, we had Grant Botma on the show, uh, and he runs stewardship out in Arizona. And he would say the very same thing that you just said. He's an entrepreneur. He's an investor. He doesn't consider himself a financial advisor or an insurance agent. I imagine you would probably say something very similar if I asked you the question of, you know, what do you think your, your title is? What do you want to be known as? Well, you're a lot more than just an RIA or an insurance agent. Now, you, you said yourself just a second ago, you're an investor. You have that investment mindset where you're always looking for another way to, you know, deliver value to the marketplace and collect an additional revenue stream.
2: Yeah, so here's how I would, here's how I look at it, and I, I learned this. This was, this was kind of at that time where I realized I needed to be a little bit more involved in the insurance business. I went to dinner with, um, at the time, I don't think he's practicing anymore. He was an estate attorney here in New Orleans. Did a lot of high end work. I, I met him through a friend, and um, he, he did. We did some joint work together on the on the estate planning side. And I was lamenting with him. I was like, oh my gosh, At the time I, my brother wasn't really producing well and he's, my brother's out of insurance. He went back to engineering. That was probably the problem is that he was an engineer trying to operate an insurance mm. agency. But I was having I was having just, I was, he was giving me headaches. Like he wasn't producing and I'm paying him this money and, and this is what the attorney told me. He goes, Eric, remember that you make money two different ways as a business owner. Number one, you work in the business. You get compensated for the work that you do. You trade your knowledge, your skill, your talent, you labor, and you get compensated for that. You, your brother, doesn't matter. You should get fairly compensated. How would you pay any person to do that job? Pay yourself that way. The second way you make money is a, in, in the business is you're the business owner. You make money through profit. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So what a lot of business owners do wrong is they confuse those two roles they think I'm the business owner so I could just take money out of the business and make money like, cause I can take profit out. Well, you have to leave money in there to pay people to actually do the work of the yeah. business. And the problem was I was paying money to someone to do the work of the business that they weren't doing the work of the mm. business. If that makes sense. So now work's not getting done and, uh, uh, I have no money to pay someone to do the work and the business isn't doing well. So we changed contracts around, we changed some stuff around. Um, he went his, and He, he Yeah, you
0: know, back to engineering. Because he wasn't making easy money anymore. to yeah. do nothing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I make the majority of my money in the insurance business through profit. Yeah. I pay myself some for the work that I do. The most of it's profit. But I'll say this. On the financial side, so what I want to be known as, I'm a financial planner. I, that's the work I enjoy. It gives me life. Uh, it is fun. There's nothing more fun than, than seeing people make good decisions with mm. their money. Uh, from an investment standpoint, so right now we're in this terrible, funky uh, market. You know, to have conversations with people, to see them stay invested, to see them excited about putting money in a down market—that's, I mean, if you're young, this is freaking fantastic opportunity. I love it so much to invest. This is this is awesome. So I'm a financial planner. Like I get paid to give financial advice. Now, to your point about the entrepreneurship side, I am. Working and, and trying to figure out how I can do it because I got I got to be careful how I how I give advice um, contractually with people if I engage people you know things that I say is it construed as advice so sometimes I have to have formal formal contracts with people in, in, in engagements and whatnot but we're trying to build out uh, a part of the business that is um, scalable in terms of I don't have to be physically present to actually give the advice through through curriculum. Mm-hmm through courses. These are conversations that I have constantly with clients. I'm like, man, I shouldn't be talking about this stuff. It's so important. This is so fundamental. People aren't taught this stuff. Hence the name of the podcast, Stuff About Money. They didn't teach you in school. They need to know this stuff. So let me go ahead and build some curriculum around it. And um, maybe we make that a standalone kind of part of the business where, I mean, you go online, you buy the curriculum, you take my course, you want to work with me directly, individually as a financial planner, there I am. Actually, I have my son. You'll appreciate this. My son, he's eighteen, just graduated from high school. Um, he, he's he's doing all my video editing right, right now. He is. I tasked him. I said, your summer job before you go to college is you have to write for me a curriculum for high school kids about money. Mm. Love that, man. So he's listening. He's listening to all my podcast. He walks into the kitchen this morning. You'll love this. He started working, so he's getting a paycheck. And he saw it and he's like, and his eyes get big. He's like, that's a lot of money. I mean, it's not a lot of money. To him, it's a lot of money. To him, it's yeah. a lot of money. I was like, what are you going to do with it, man? He's like, you know, I think, um, you know, Dr. Billy Williams talks about compounding.
1: Because
2: <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was chopping up the, the episode when, when Billy Williams was on. And we we're talking about, uh, I'm guessing compound interest was a topic of I can of hear Billy's
0: voice but, in my head you know, right now. Compound interest is like man yeah man that guy it's
2: it's it's money making money the making eighth money. wonder of the world baby there's a, a a new orleans rapper um I the he says in one of his songs he says i used to work for my money now my money's working for me
0: yeah, yeah. no that's absolutely correct man we uh we engaged with Don and Roe Polzenski uh, at R d Advisory Group um, about a year ago, and we have spent so much time on the just the nature of money inside of an agency, like how important strategic decisions are for short term but certainly for long term just because of the the impact that they have on. Uh, long-term cash flow, long-term NOI, net operating income. It's like, well, you can have high growth or you can have cash flow. You typically can't have both. You got to choose. Do you want cash flow or do you want really high growth? You know, I'd love to hear your take on, on that. You know, The whole mm-hmm. I- relationship between growth, reinvestment, and cash flow.
2: Yeah. Oh, man. What a fun question. I've never heard it asked
0: the way that you asked it,
2: though. High growth versus high cash You got
0: to pick one. You can't um, have both of them because if you like take that. the cash flow out of the business, you're going like to stifle that. your growth. But if you want to be high growth, I mean, you're a, not going to have a whole bunch of cash flow. This is actually interesting right now. Um, and,
2: and I'm going to talk about a current event right now and kind of come back to this. If you mm, don't mind, sure. taking a it's, little, little trip for here. It, so we look at the stock market right now. Stock market's getting its teeth kicked in right now. And if you look at the area that's getting its teeth kicked in the most, it's growth. It's these high growth mm-hmm. companies. Growth is funded typically through borrowing money, right? Well, borrowing just got more expensive. So if borrowing is more expensive, then presumably, uh, uh, investments and, and raising capital is going to dry up a little bit. Um, so, or it's funded through, through, um, well, both debt and then, and then just also people's own cash putting it in. So we're seeing growth kind of slow down. And we're seeing value or these dividend-paying companies back in vogue. And they've been, out of, they've been out of favor for a long time now. But we're starting to – you know, people are like, oh, Exxon. Exxon's great. Yeah, energy's doing really good right now. But no, I, I own it because it's a dividend. It's got a strong dividend. You're, you're starting to hear people talk more about the dividend play mm. again, right? Which is your cash yeah. flow play. So yeah, growth and cash flow. So we're, we're starting to see that movement in the investment world. Uh, we started seeing it about a year ago where uh that cash flow became a little bit more more in vogue but from an invest from a personal business standpoint you're right you can't if I want cash flow if i'm taking money out of my business then i can't reinvest it i can't go invest in really cool technology i can't go invest in a new producer yep. i can't invest in a, a new c s r if i'm taking money out of the business so um I think that business owners need to step back and ask a very, very, very important question before they even make that decision is what do I want? What am I trying Mm -hmm. to build? What do I want? What what do I want to build? Like we start businesses without any idea of where we're going and and I get it. We got to make money. But at some point, maybe in the first year or two of business, it's like, dude, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to put revenue on the books. I get it. But at some point you got to stop, sit back and say, what am I trying to build? Because that's going to dictate if I'm high growth
0: or if I'm cash. Well, money. it goes back to your vision, right? Like what what do you want this thing to look like? Is this a, uh, a lifestyle agency where you just want to have enough money and be successful enough to play golf as often as you want? Maybe for you it's once a week, once a month, twice a month, who knows? Or are you trying to build an empire? Are you trying to build a legacy play, something to be multi-generational? Or is it a pump and sell play where you want to get this thing really fat over the next five years and you know, sell to private equity for a nice multiple? Depending on whatever your yeah. goal is, it's going to dictate the daily decisions that get you there. I, I, tell me what you think about this. You talk to a lot of insurance
2: people. I talk to a lot of... Um, Agency owners. I I that's kind of a become a niche market for obvious mm-hmm. reasons, owning an agency and, and understanding the yep. grind of, of owning an agency. Agency owners have kind of become a bit of a niche market for me from a planning standpoint, investment standpoint. I talked to a lot of different a, a lot of different agents out there. And I hear I hear a lot of agents say, Yeah, you know, kind of that lifestyle play. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, I just I just really like insurance and I get that, but like uh, part of me doesn't buy it. Part of me is like no, if you have the option, don't you want to build this thing so that one day you wake up and you're like, I'm sick and tired of dealing with hurricanes. I'm sick and tired of dealing with underwriters. I'm sick and tired of filling the blank with whatever you're sick and tired of in your agency. Yeah. I think I might want to walk away. Or, you know what? I think I might want to just pay someone a lot of money to run this thing yeah. for me. And I just want to walk away.
0: You know, it's like, like I, I think it's we don't, like freedom, we don't, huh? we don't
2: start, freedom. We don't start businesses. If, if you want to, if you're a producer, agency owner, and your vision is, yeah, I want to play golf once a week. and I'm happy with that. Do yourself a favor. Go find another agency and work for it and, and, and negotiate yourself a really good contract if your goal isn't to eventually sell it. Because why the hell else would you put up with all the headache of operating an agency yep. if you didn't have a goal in mind? To sell it one day, or to build it into an asset that you could sell one yep. day. All the amount of mental and emotional energy that you spend operating your business and cost—why would you put up with it if you're not planning on selling it one day? Yeah.
0: Well, when we had Matt Namoli and Zach Gould on, uh, they they sold GNN uh, to the hill Group uh, for a very nice number. Uh, I, I think about three years ago, if my memory serves correctly. And he said something very interesting. Uh, he said, everybody sells at some point. You know, you're either selling to you know, someone who's buying your agency or uh, you know, you're selling to you know, a generational play. Or you mm-hmm. hold on too long and you end up selling because you have to because you have no other option and you're selling at a discount. But we only get one life. And everybody sells eventually. It's just a matter of how you sell and how much you're paid when you sell.
2: Yeah, I I think that agency owners should build their business as though they're going to sell. Whether that's part of your plan or not, you should operate your business as though you're going to sell. Because something's going to happen one day and you're going to realize like, maybe I do want to sell. And then you're going to look at your books, you're going to look at your contracts, you're going to look at your business and you're gonna say you know what it's gonna take me a couple of years to get this cleaned up before i can yep. sell it i had a a restaurant owner uh they weren't a client they were just a friend and she did a lot of catering and she did a lot of stuff off the books and then she was just talking about selling it one day and i said well how much how much you know what, what's your revenue and she goes well you know we do this you know this is kind of what we report and this is kind of what we do off the books." So i'm like You got a problem. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's off the books. I mean, how are you going to value that? How do you prove that? How do you you get that valuation when you're sitting across from someone saying, hey, uh, James, um, my business is worth um, X, but we do X times two off the books. So, I'm going to ask you to pay me, you know, X times six. There's no records. Operate as though you're going to sell.
0: Absolutely. Well, and speaking as someone who has already purchased one book of business and I have every intention of purchasing a lot more over the next several years, that's so critically important. Like they're, they're, It was actually one of the, the good threads and um, the IAOA as a group, um, it, I'm not as involved as I used to be just because a lot of the conversations are very, very entry level. Uh, and I'm not nearly as involved over there as I once was. But every once in a while, there's a conversation that makes me lean in on my chair and go, oh, this is good. This is really good. And they were talking about uh, acquisitions. It was like, what are some things that you're looking for when you're buying an agency and when you're buying a book? And the comments in there are just so useful just to see people's perspective of what, what sort of uh, direction they are looking at when they're contemplating, when they're performing due diligence on do I buy this book or this agency or not. It was absolutely fascinating, some of the stuff that's in there. You could tell the people that have never bought a book ever that have... So, so share. No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning in. I'm leaning in. Well, share with us. What, I what mean, are, data is so overlooked. Uh-huh. Just basic data. Yeah. Do you... I mean, when we talk about data integrity, you know, it's really th- three components of data integrity. Is it accurate? Is it relevant? Is it complete? Like, do we, mm-hmm. do we have the right data? And so many agency owners, myself included as of about a year ago, it's a lot better now. So many agency owners undervalue their data where they don't have mm-hmm. good data integrity. Or they don't have those four key metrics for literally every single person in their system prospect and client the name of course phone email mailing address name phone email mailing address do you have that for every single person in your database most people don't but like when you're looking at evaluating a, a book of business well let's take a look at the data integrity or is this just god help you it's a mismatch of who knows what and oh yeah, we have 700 clients, but we only have name, phone, email, and mailing address for 450 of them. Okay.
2: And the other, the, the other 250, the email address is like your staff's email address because you needed to put something in yeah. the system to get yeah. through. Or <laughs>
0: right? the carrier sent it to us and it's incomplete because most of the carriers, if it comes through Ivans, God help you, stuff through Ivans is a crapshoot. So sometimes it's accurate, sometimes yeah. it's not.
2: Yeah, so as, as you're saying this, I'm thinking about making a, a decision on buying uh, or invest, making an investment decision in a, in a particular stock, right? Data, like, like can can what am I buying? Right? Look at look at, I mean, look at Elon Musk right now, and if you're if you're kind of watching the whole uh, the Twitter saga, whole, uh, Twitter, and I'm kind of watching it kind of at a distance. Yeah. I'm not like totally into it, but like. Is in it, and then, then like he wanted, he more data. Like, how many bots are we yeah. buying here? Like, what what am I really buying here? Like, what what do you own? What do you have? Like, what's your?
0: No, like, that whole yeah, saga was so interesting because it, I have no interest in talking about politics on my show. So I'm not going to be getting into the liberal versus conservative, red versus blue, or whatever. Uh, the politics of senior leadership at Twitter are significantly different than Elon Musk. Uh, politics and his his worldview. So to watch a company that really does not want to be bought by this guy and their board of directors really don't want to be bought. But then he comes in with a giant bag of cash and plops it on the table and was like, here's my value per share. And they go, we have a fiduciary liability to take his offer. Crap, I don't want to take his offer, but I have to because I'm a fiduciary like it's It's so interesting to watch it all play out Gee, look at you
2: using the big, fancy words fiduciary. Well, I mean, If we you're a board of
0: director, if you're on the board, you have an obligation, a publicly traded company to your shareholders, whether you like the person or not, whether you like their vision or not. When they put a big fat yeah. wad of cash on the table you you have an obligation to accept it, whether you want to or not, yeah. So we, we
2: we got we got we we digressed Sorry, here. I took you um, in a different so we're talking direction, about data. Didn't so you? data. No, I think I think I took you there. I took you there. So Sorry, we're talking about data. Ahead. So like agency owners need to know their data, have clean data. What, what's something else that people are saying?
0: The 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 mix of the carrier relationships. Uh, who do you have mm-hmm. in your book? How's your relationship with them? Are they willing to allow the purchaser of the book to retain the contract? And for, for some yeah carriers i mean getting a, a contract with say auto owners or central mutual or cincinnati th- that contract by itself makes the book much more attractive and, and worth more but a lot of those carriers are like mm, no no we don't we don't want you mm-hmm. to have a contract. If, if you sell this book you'll have to roll that somewhere else because we're not going to give the purchaser a contract or or whatever it's There's a lot of nuance in the relationships (laughs) inside of the book. Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS, a nationwide brokerage solutions. They understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com.
2: i tell you, that's probably the thing that drives me most crazy about, about our industry is contracts and getting contracts mm. and, and, the, the politicking involved in getting contracts. I don't know how it is anywhere else, but like in New Orleans on the coast, dude, it's a freaking nightmare. Yeah. It, is, it is. I mean, well, all of our companies are. Well, Capacity are is your biggest on the problem. Of
0: bankruptcy. It's,
2: I mean, the, the, they, none of them have any capacity because they're all out of business yeah. now. Where, I mean, everything. I've, <laughs> it I've been following so it seems. the
0: saga of property carriers in southern Louisiana. It's it's almost reached Florida proportions.
2: You know, there's southern Louisiana, then there's like south of I-10, Louisiana, yeah, which is even worse. And, and there's a oh, difference. Yeah. There's a difference. So like, once you get north of I-10, I remember man, years ago when I was a little bit more active and. We're trying to write like commercial policies or something along those lines. Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, we write in Louisiana. Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, New Orleans. We can write in New Orleans. I'm like, mm. so we submit a, you know, we'll submit, you know, we'll, we'll we'll put in a submission. Like, oh, we don't write south of I-10. I'm like, y- you 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 think a uh, uh, inner like it, does do catastrophe and claims like yeah make a difference if it's like. South
0: or I mean, I guess, I guess they haven't a, looked at a map recently to realize that almost the entirety of the New Orleans urban area and like the greater metropolitan New Orleans is south of I 10. Well, now it's now it's like the
2: lake, so it's like north of the lake and south of the lake and then west mm, of a certain area. Okay. And they do it by zip Hammond, code, it, it, so it's ponchatrain
0: or whatever it is,
2: Ponchatoula lake ponchatrain. That's uh, that's the
0: lake, okay. And Hammond is north, yeah. of yeah. Sorry, we drove through Hammond a bunch of times going to Florida when I was a kid. So, I'm sorry. When I hear New Orleans, I think Yeah, no, no,
2: no. So, they have have much, you know, some of the companies are still writing up there. They have different contracts up there than I do in Mm -hmm. New Orleans. Like, literally, someone an hour north of me or an hour and a half north of me has totally different contracts than what's Mm -hmm. available in New Orleans.
0: So, talk about that Uh, for just a second because most people listening to this podcast live in a part of the country where all of your... Blue chip carriers, your A players, all of them are perfectly happy to ride business. You know, and I I have similar challenges being in North Texas, not nearly this problem that you do. A lot of carriers really are not at all interested in riding in hail prone areas. A lot of folks are in, you know, Iowa or Indiana or someplace in the Midwest. Ohio. Or where their only weather hazard is it gets really cold in the winter and there's freezing. Other than that, I mean, they don't really have wind or hail or fire or severe drought or named storms. So, a lot of folks probably don't appreciate the challenge that you face that really anybody, Bradley Flowers, anybody else who's really big on the coast. um, Talk about that for just a second. What is it like? I'd I'd trade my
2: problems with Bradley Flowers problems any day. Yeah. Yeah. Mobile versus New Orleans. Oh, I'll take his problem. Yeah, I think I don't <laughs> think he
0: wants to make that trade. Honestly, you you look at the data over the last twenty years, and that's a really good trade for you and a really bad trade for him.
2: I told him. I said, I said, Hey Bradley, you want to buy an agency in uh, in New Orleans? He's like, uh, I'm a little scared of uh, your market. Yeah, rightfully <laughs> that's so, man. Really? Come on, man. We sell one homeowners policy, and it's like we make thirty thousand dollars in commission because the premium's three hundred thousand. Yeah. It seems. No, it's, ch- man, it's been challenging here, um, post, golly, since like post 2020, and particularly post Ida, Ida just absolutely was like, not like i like to say the nail in the coffin, because it's not dead here, but we had, I mean, you, you probably seen, you probably saw the storms that hit West Louisiana, Hurricane Laura, I think it was in 2020, devastated the Lake Charles mm-hmm. area, um, but I think we've been we've been hit by like seven named storms in the past like two no. years. So the amount of losses that these companies have incurred. I mean, literally, we've had four four companies go into receivership this year mm-hmm. alone.
0: Um, there's another it, one for that people that aren't familiar okay. with Just, that term. Receivership is basically the insurance carrier version of bankruptcy protection. Uh, where you're yes. basically you're put into a custodial relationship with a third party. Most of the time, your reinsurance is involved to some capacity, and then they start liquidating assets and start shutting things down unless there can be some sort of a book transfer. But if you hear receivership, think bankruptcy protection for insurance carriers. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I figured and that was for useful. Us it's like I didn't know what receivership no, no, no. was until like two years ago.
2: No, that was good. That was good. I, I, that's good. That's a really good definition. Um, so, and, it, and it happens like this. Well, you know, th- we're waiting for the judge to put them in receivership. So it's like, okay, what do we do with this business? Mm-hmm. Well, we think that there's going to be a company that's going to come into the market and absorb those policies so you don't have to rewrite them. Okay, so you're kind of in this wow. limbo. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, they're in receivership. You have 30 days. All the policies are being canceled on this day. And then you're like, well, is this company going to take the business or they're not? Mm. So, I mean, we're we're in the middle of rewriting over
0: 100 policies with 30 days to rewrite 100 policies. And how do you explain this I to the question. insured? What's your what's your talking point there? <laughs> I,
2: don't, I don't even know, man. I I personally don't have these conversations with clients. I actually you have had people to have for that. one yesterday by I well, um I don't I rarely talk to clients, but I accidentally had to get involved in one of those conversations. So I'm upstairs in the building, but I can hear people knock downstairs and everyone was at lunch and I could hear the doorbell. So I'll walk down, I'll let someone in. They were coming to make a payment and um for, for one of their policies. So I'm explaining what's going on. I'm like, I'm glad I don't have to have these conversations. But your your talking point is, um, this you know, Lighthouse is the one we're dealing with right now. Lighthouse is, is bankrupt. They have no more money. They're canceling your policy effective this day. You've got no choice but to yeah. move it. Um, and your only real choice right now is the state plan, Louisiana citizens, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be $2,000 more expensive and you have to pay it. Uh, you have to wait for a refund from your company and people bitch and they complain and it's like, what are you going to do? Like there's, you have no other option. It's either that or your mortgage company is going to force place insurance. It's going to be more expensive and you're going to be more pissed.
0: So what you're saying is you don't have your friendly neighborhood state farm agent sitting there with open arms going, come on, buddy, I got you.
2: State Farm might be writing with their um, their ENS provider. I think, I
0: think what is it, Dover, I think it's called. Yeah, I um, don't know what it is. I know on the auto they, side, they purchased Gainsco uh, last year. I don't have I don't any know, but, idea what the property side is. I think
2: it's called Dover. They they, they might be writing some down here. But even if, even you know, so some of the blue chip players are writing. So like uh, Progressive ASI is writing. I don't have a contract with mm-hmm. them. But they're That's writing super limited. Yeah, they're writing super limited policies. And it's got to like, man, it's got to be so squeaky clean. Yeah. Like the roof has to like have just been repaired or has been replaced yesterday. Oh, your, your roof like is a month old. Sorry,
0: not eligible.
2: Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, are you? Oh, you're not. You're not twenty feet above sea level. Sorry, no. Your that's not, your home is was not actually on a hilltop,
0: a literal hilltop, five hundred feet above sea level. Sorry, not eligible. So the captive I was with um, when when
2: Katrina hit, and after Katrina hit, they came back and they're like. They they started writing again, but one of the underwriting guidelines was the house had to naturally be twenty feet above sea level, meaning not on stilts or or on a or not a not above ground mm-hmm. or anything. So they're like, no, no, we're writing, and New Orleans is like, are no, y'all aren't writing, y'all aren't giving us product to write. No, 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 we, we write, we we can write. We, the house has to be twenty feet above sea level. I'm like, have you seen a a, a topographical map of New Orleans? Like twenty feet above sea level, my second floor of my house might be like eighteen feet
0: above sea level. Wow. <laughs> like
2: we don't we don't have twenty feet. That doesn't exist. Well it's like saying oh
0: yeah we're happy to offer coverage. It's A C V with hundred percent co and a fifty thousand dollar deductible. But we'll write it. And oh by the way the premium's two of right of our for last year was some of our carriers are
2: are renewing five percent named Storm. <laughs> so could you imagine? Oh man this is what we do with y'all check this out So, your house is insured for, let's say, Mm $300,000, okay? It's a modest house around here. It seems like everything is at least that. You have a 5% hurricane deductible. And some companies have a named storm deductible. I'm sorry, um, a wind and hail deductible. 5%.
0: Do the math. $10,000 on a $200,000 home.
2: Yeah, I need a calculator to do that, Matt. So, $15,000 on a $300,000 home. $15,000. Why don't why don't they just say hey we're gonna do two percent deductibles, we're
0: we're just not covering your roof. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling like, you, is that is that AOP down there or is it just wind hail name storm what? Because have a hard time telling you know grandma great, great oh homes. I'm sorry your water heater exploded but you have a five percent deductible so until you have ten thousand dollars in damage your insurance doesn't yeah. even really exist.
2: You're getting into areas that are that, that's um sorry, you're a financial advisor first and an days. insurance
0: agent second. My bad.
2: No, like I don't like I don't know the first of all, when we were able to write, we might have had like fifteen carriers. Mm-hmm. So like literally you're you're balancing fifteen underwriting mm-hmm. guidelines are all a little bit different. So some 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 were percentages for AOP, some were you could have you have like a flat deductible for AOP. Um but it's all over the board, and some are wind and hail and some are named storm and then some are hurricane, mm. so that gets that gets complicated when you're going from you know a hurricane to a to a wind and hail deductible i mean mm. that, that's I mean we have wind events here all the time
0: okay now get ready for this because I'm hitting the little button okay. here Bring it. you are capable of giving us some really juicy hot takes, and you told me before if I got you started on something, you would roll hot and heavy. I'm really curious what on. one of those. Things might be. Is there anything that's really itching you right now that you want to just rail on for a second? Maybe something dumb that people in our industry are doing, or a, a common misconception <laughs> that you just want to debunk.
2: All right, I've been on this. I've been on this this uh, soapbox for a while here. Okay, give it to me, man. Let's. I go. think I already even alluded to it. I think I already alluded to it earlier in the conversation. Business owners, we are notorious for. Having all of our eggs in one basket, the majority of our net worth is in our business yeah. it 's in the stock of the business now, separate yourself agency owner and or producer um, from the owner of the stock of the company from the person you know working in the company yeah right. I am an investor. think of yourself as an investor as an investor. The last thing you would do would put all your money into one company right so so we we have as business owners. And I'm not just talking about agency owners. This is biz- I see this with, with business owners in general. People think because they own their business that they've attained freedom, which is the biggest myth. Just because you own your business, you are not free. You have become slave to your yeah. business. And too many people are in that position where they're a slave to their business. Too many agency owners are slave to their business. Um, they're not positioning themselves so that the business serves them. They're constantly going to be serving the business. So if you want true freedom and independence, and I'm I'm not talking about retirement because I, I don't buy into necessarily our, our modern perception of retirement to where like I'm gonna stop working and play golf five days yeah. a week. You're gonna go you're gonna go broke and get bored and die yeah. if you don't keep I, your mind I
0: have engaged. No interest in that ever. I don't care how old I am or how much money's in the bank.
2: So my idea, and I have this conversation with clients, is retirement is you doing what you want what you love and not needing the money. So if you're really good at something and you want to just do that, but you don't have to deal with the grind of the other parts of that, just go do that. Then Tell, then to, if you like the, the company you're working for, yeah, say, hey, look, I'm willing to, I'm willing to work for half. I just want to do this. Do it. That, to me, that's retirement. And that's why I don't buy like age 65, age 67, age whatever. But what's going to get you to that point is liquidity. Yep. Is liquidity. And when I say liquidity, I mean money, assets that can be turned to cash relatively easy. I'm not necessarily talking about real estate, because real estate's illiquid. If you have enough that's producing cash flow for you, that's cool. But if all your real estate is in one area, then you got a problem because then you're subject to, you know, hurricanes yep. or subject to increases in insurance. And all of a sudden a hurricane comes through or a, a hailstorm goes through or an area gets hit with a rate increase and you're you're all of a sudden see so your cash flow Drying up, or whatever the case may be, whatever the case may be, so business owners, agency owners, you need to be actively building some liquidity, especially the young ones. Liquidity isn't having two million dollars in your 401k by age forty. That's not liquidity, but that, that, that money is tied up. You can't touch that money. I'm talking about a, a, an account somewhere else that you are actively building up to where you can wake up one morning and say, "You know what?" I've got a million dollars in my investment account. I get it. People say, yeah, but look what the market's doing right now. How's that any different from real estate? It goes up and it goes down. I get it. Um, th- th- there, is, there, is a, there is an absolute difference. And I'm not anti-real estate at all. But there's an absolute difference between having in a million dollars in an investment portfolio versus owning a million dollars of property. And all the stuff that goes on with oh, yeah. having to own property. Yeah, but I hire a management company. Okay, then all of a sudden, you're not making as much money as you originally thought
0: in real what's, estate. Because you uh, have what, a What's management your take company. on owner finance notes? Because the, the note game is something I am very interested in as we continue to diversify our own holdings. And where we're acting in, in effect as the lien holder, but we hire a servicing company to you know act like a mortgage company so we don't have to. It's basically like being a tenant but without so, a tenant a, a landlord So you're say.
2: talking about financing well, for like people a note, who are buying
0: buying off the the note on a property and having someone purchase it through you where you in essence are the lien holder
2: yeah, well, yeah I mean, the the day, every, every investment you do it, it's it's a question yeah. of risk okay so so you're buying this note that what are you paying for it and how much are you yep. getting for it? And can your capital be doing something better somewhere else? That's what mm-hmm. it comes down to. Yep. And if you can, if you can, um, I, I'll give you a, this is kind of a, a similar, but not quite scenario. So I was talking to my kid about this. My, my kid's 18 and, um, he's, was it on this podcast that I was just talking about mm-hmm. him working yeah. for me? Did I mention it? Yeah, okay. About 20 minutes I, I, ago. I, I, okay. I am all, i I've, have a lot of these conversations. Yeah, you're, you're very important. <laughs> and, no, no, no. People just very know me.
0: No, people know me. Oh, man. Um, Sorry. Go, uh, if you don't stop so, me, I'm just going to call a anchorman for the next three minutes. So go, go on. Go on, Your son. It. So
2: we bought him a car last year and I bought my wife a car last year. His car was 0% financing. He had to, had to finance it for four years. My wife's was like 72 months, uh, 1.9% or something like along those lines. Now, I hate the idea of financing cars for 72 months. It'll probably be paid off before that. Maybe. I'm not sure. But what I was telling my son was, our intention was to put, all, put a bunch of money down on his car and pay it off as soon as possible. But it was 0% interest. So in turn, we took all the money and put it towards my wife's car so that we'd be paying less, less yeah. interest. Um, so your question about notes is man, where, where can I get that? It's, it's arbitrage, right? It's like, where can Mm -hmm. I make, where can I make the spread?
0: The spread is the word. That was the word I was going to come back to. It's interesting that you went there too.
2: So is it, is it from a, from a diversified portfolio? Sure. If you know, I wouldn't have all, I mean, it also depends on who, you know, who's paying you, like how credit worthy are they? How, 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 how steady is that? Typically for
0: for people that are interested in this and, um, I've spent a lot more time than I care to admit researching this because I, I intend to do this for, you know, part of our, our nut is your, your typical buyer of, the, of that property is someone who has good cash flow. They have a good job, but they're not credit worthy through conventional financing for some reason, whether it's, uh, you know, a foreclosure on a previous property due to something outside of their control or, you know, divorce or whatever. Uh, for whatever reason, they're not able to get secured for conventional lending, so they intend to look at um, the seller finance. A lot of times, you'll you'll see it, you know, owner finance or seller finance. They're interchangeable terms to a large extent. Mm-hmm. So,
2: and and I, I would say that scenario, you have a fair amount of protection. It's like a bank loaning you money for. It. I mean, you're basically the, asset the bank is collateralizing
0: the loan itself. Yeah.
2: So you do have a fair amount of 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 protection if they, you know, decide not to pay. No, it. I know. That's a random so like, question. Sorry
0: to take you in that direction.
2: I, no, dude, that's, I love questions like that, man. This is the stuff that I love doing. I, I don't think people, I don't think business owners do this often enough. Just sit back and have conversations like this. I've like, I tell some of my clients, my, my business owner clients, when they say, Hey, what do you do for me? What am I getting for the fee that I'm paying you? Sometimes, uh, I'm your thought, I'm your thought partner. What does that mean? That sounds so stupid. No, like literally you're going to bounce business ideas off of me sometimes. And I'll tell you if they're, they're stupid. Let me tell you a story. I'll tell you a story about that. I got a client. He, um, this is one of my earliest clients, dude. I did life insurance for him and his family like 15 years ago. And he's still with me. And I've, I've seen him through a couple business purchases, a couple partnership breakups, um, a, uh, the selling of two businesses, and about five years ago or so, he came to me and was like, hey, I want to buy another business. He, says, he did some franchises. I want to buy this, this franchise with these two partners. I'm like, okay, what's it going to cost? So he kind of was running through the numbers for me. And I'm like, oh, they want you for your cash. He's like, he's like yeah, they, they need me for the cash. I said, okay, so you want to take all your cash. And at this time, he was doing everything that he needed. He was funding his lifestyle, all his savings. Uh, he was in a really good place financially. Um, so, he's, so I said, okay, you want to take all your cash and put it on this business. Like we're, We talked through like the, what are the chances of it succeeding. And, um, and this is what I told him. I said, all right, you took your risk, it paid off, and you're funding everything that you need to fund and more right now. You got an asset that's growing. So the question you have to make a decision on is, are you willing to take that same amount of risk right now? If it fails, can you cover the additional note that y'all are borrowing without impacting everything you've already built? He kind of thought about it. He's like, he's like, no. I said, that's your decision, yeah. right there. You took risk; it paid off. You're making money.
0: Do you want to really take that risk start again, over again? If it and risk the whole thing that you built, and it wouldn't have been starting well, over with a new, new would have venture. been starting over. Yeah,
2: but Flipping it was. It was if that venture fails. Yeah. If that venture fails, and you got to tap into your other cash flow, a few thousand dollars, and it's going to impact your lifestyle. You're not going to save what you want to mm. save. He ended up not doing it, and the venture fell through. And he was like, man, I'm, I'm so glad that we talked through that. Awesome. So I think most business owners, you said you're taking me down this, this place. Like I, I love this thought partnership. I yeah. mean, I think that every business owner should have an advisory council. You should go out and find people who are smarter than you. And you should ask them, buy them lunch once a quarter or twice a year and just bounce ideas off of them.
0: No, that's fantastic. And the only thing I would add to that, what you just said is smarter than you. In a certain area, not necessarily smarter in a, in a, a holistic sense, but you get that person who's a CPA by trade, who they're just a tax nerd. They know all the secrets, all the loopholes, all the legal ways to get out of paying taxes uh, that you yep. don't want to pay. And
2: Or, or someone who's just gonna play devil's advocate with you.
0: And say, Hey, that idea you read about willing. in that magazine, here's where it could fall apart. Yeah.
2: Yeah, someone who's someone who's I remember I called um Rob McCarthy. I don't know if you know Rob. He's in um No of Rob. I don't know Rob him does. personally. Okay. Yeah, Rob's doing executive lines for RPS. He's in he's in Austin mm-hmm. now. But um this was when, when Rob was working in the family agency up in New York. I met him at a brain share years mm. ago. And man, like I I'm a visionary man. Sometimes I get lost. I get lost kind of in the clouds. Mm. I'm constantly thinking about what, what what can I do? What can I do differently? And Sometimes I can lose track of the day to day. So I reached out to Rob once and I said, dude, I need, you know, we've met a couple times, we've talked a couple times. You're so direct. And I, and I, are you willing to hold me accountable for the next three months? Here's my objective. I had it laid out. These are the things I want to accomplish in the next three months. I need someone who's not afraid to, like, you know, tell me, call me to the carpet, keep me accountable. I was like, I'm willing to do the same for you, but I'm asking if you'd do it for me. And he's like, Yeah. So we kind of formed our like our, our, our own little separate little like little mastermind, mastermind accountability. Like. Yeah, but I just needed somebody who wasn't going to be like, Yeah, Eric, that's a great idea. Like, I don't need you to tell me it's a great idea. My business partner on the financial side, he's 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 um, if you're a tra- you're a traction guy, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: You're traction. Okay, so I, I'm the visionary. He's more of the integrator. So I'll share an idea with him and he'll be like, dude, are you serious? Let's, let's finish what you decided to do last no. week. I'm like, that's a good point. That's a good point. So we, we do need those, those people who are going to create friction for us. I,
0: I too am a visionary. Uh, my wife would say I'm hyper visionary and not very good at daily execution and, and the finer details of things, which shocks mm-hmm. exactly zero people that know me well but Addie on my team who is recently promoted her to operations manager just in time for her to go out on maternity leave she's currently on maternity leave as we speak it doesn't come back until August 1st but in our office Addie is that person
2: Man how long how long does it take to have a baby goodness yeah. gracious
0: not kidding No <laughs> that was a decision that we made of it's painful believe me not just for the checkbook but I mean Addie is such a rock star and having her absent during these crazy months most people get slow in the summer we we get big in the summer we get busy there i said that b word i hate the word busy it's one of my least favorite words because it means nothing because it means everything depending on who you talk to busy means 50 different things (laughs) sorry we are, are i don't i don't know what you just said but carry on i totally just rabbit trailed all over myself didn't i our our workload increases significantly in the summer because we see it as an opportunity to to go hard when we know that the competition is taking it easy. Uh, it's a great way to gobble up a little bit of additional market share. Um, but we we made the decision at risk well to pay uh, if you're outside of one year of employment, uh, you you get 12 weeks of paid maternity leave at uh, whatever your full average was uh, for the preceding uh, 12 months. So. Painful and difficult, but it speaks to the way that I want to do things as a company. Um, so, the, the the role that Addie is in, and I'd love to get your take on this because it sounds like you have a lot of similar, um, you know, profile markers that I do. But Addie is the first mm-hmm. one to say, hold on a second. Now, she's the first one to go, I don't know about that. How, how about you... Uh, you have some follow through on that great idea that you laid on us a month ago that you have left at 70% complete. So mm-hmm. yeah. Don't like getting called on the carpet, but sometimes it is so good for the team.
2: You know, the worst thing that can happen to you as a leader is to look back and no one's following you. Let that sink in for a second. Mm-hmm. Just to look back and nobody's following you. Sometimes when you're a visionary, sometimes you have to, to make that conscious decision to say, you know what, I, I, need, I need to let people catch up to me. Mm. I need people to catch yeah. up. And I think part of that is to the extent that you can, right? You're, at the end of the day, you're making the decision. It's your investment. It's your money that's at risk. You get to make the call. But how can you as a leader invite your team into making the decision that you feel is best for the team. I don't,
1: right? I don't do disagree with them,
2: that. How do you, how do you involve them? How do you involve them? Uh, and I think, I think it's, 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 you know, if you want to do something, uh, a good example is I remember talking to, uh, Bradley flowers about hiring and he says he doesn't make the final decision. His team has to be unanimous mm. and he's got a process about how I think he might've talked about this in, uh, in Denver at the, um, one city, one city world tour. Um, Or it could have been one of his podcasts where, you know, he's, he's got a process about how, how he interviews. He's, he's a very small part of it. And, um, they interview the person as a team and the team makes the final decision, but he has to agree to it. Hmm. Obviously if he doesn't agree to it, that's not unanimous. But I think how do we involve, how do we involve our team in in some of the direction that we want to go? Giving them some authority.
0: Ownership of their space I think is critical. That's, That's a good first point. And, you know, having one of the things, and we follow traction almost religiously. I I, I love ninety percent of it, um, but that that ownership of your role of the decision making process, uh, the decision itself, the results, and then the consequences of those results. Like that's one thing I think a lot of agency owners miss because they'll give someone ownership of the the task, but decision making sometimes too. Outcomes more rare. But the consequences from the outcomes, like if you make a decision and it doesn't work out, you're the one that has to clean up the mess. I'm not going to come in riding a white horse and save you from your bad decision. That's going to be you. Uh, I I think that's something that a lot of folks miss.
2: Yeah, it kind of sounds a little bit like um, good parenting is there's natural consequences. And if you want your kids to grow up to be independent, critical thinking human beings... Then you got to let them, you know, live with some of the natural consequences of their decisions. Now, in parenting, you're not going to let them make a decision that's going to, you know, uh, injure them or, or or really be bad yeah. for them. So I think it's the same thing in, in business. You're you're kind of setting the boundaries. You're setting the parameters, and you're letting your staff make decisions within those parameters. They might not make the decisions that you want. They might not make it. They might not do it the way that you would do it. Yeah. But is the job getting done and is it is it getting done well and if it's getting done well then who cares if it's the way you would do it they did it they now have ownership in yep. it they're more confident and you my friend did what a successful business owner does you just duplicated yep. yourself and the more you duplicate yourself in your business guess what you just got free time freedom free time Love freedom Love freedom you have just you have just released yourself from a little bit more captivity mm-hmm. Because
0: some because you are not needed. You are speaking my language, my friend.
2: That's hard. Man, that look, man, that's hard because most business owners we're you know, we're we're, we're alpha, yeah. right? We're we're type A. We're like, we we want to be in control, we want to be in the lead, so we want to do it all, man. We want it done the way we want, how we want, when we want it. Set the parameter, let your team make decisions, let them live out the consequences. Yeah. And then and then man, when you're when you duplicate yourself, God so beautiful.
0: Now I'm going to, we're we're coming up on an hour here in about three minutes. I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'll hand you the mic and you can, you know, finish up with anything that's on your mind. Uh, I'm intentionally drawing you off sides here and I'm, I'm not sorry for it. Uh, one of the, one of the most, <laughs> Oh man. Uh, one of the, are you, are you, are you going to crypto NFTs? No, are we going no, no, there? no. Not, even worse okay. than that. Way worse cool. than that. Uh, perfect. One of the most well-known and famous, or infamous, depending on who you ask, financial advisors, quote-unquote, is Dave Ramsey. Oh, yes. I know, because I know you well enough to know that you are a student of your craft. There's probably a list of grievances that you hold against Mr. Ramsey, where you're like, you know what, some things you get right, but on this one, jackass, you are so completely wrong. Uh, I'd love... What are one or two things... Uh, that Ramsey stands on, you're just like, oh, that is terrible. Do not take that advice. In, in a general sense, obviously, because again, thank you SEC and regulators. What no, he's about oh, to no, say I, is not investment in advice. We're good. We're, no, you,
2: I'll tell you right now. Um, James, I'm glad you asked. If you really, really, really want to know and have 30 minutes to burn, I actually reposted a podcast called 4 things i disagree with dave ramsey's investment advice on i think so i just reposted it like maybe like i don't know a month and a half or so ago um yeah look number one personal finance is personal and i got a problem anytime someone gives financial advice to the masses as though it's the only way to do it i think that sets a lot of people up for failure Number two, anytime Dave Ramsey talks about investments, I cringe a little bit. He is not licensed. He does not have his his uh he is not um uh supervised by anybody, which means Dave Ramsey can say things that I can't say publicly. And I think that's a problem. In fact, I think in one of his podcasts or one of his uh blogs that I read, he doesn't have his licenses. He gave up his licenses for that very reason, so he can say things that that uh, uh that people who are License can't say he doesn't answer to the regulatory
0: authority is what you're saying. He's just he's just a shock uh, jock, basically the the Howard Stern of investing.
2: Yeah, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that because like uh, uh, he adds a lot of value. Uh, Like I think Dave Ramsey does add a lot of value, but on the investment side. So I'll give you one. I'll give you a perfectly good example. This is don't listen to Dave Ramsey's investment advice when it comes to diversification. He says you should own a large cap growth mutual fund, you should own an international mutual fund, you should own a small cap mutual fund, and then another type of mutual fund. That's the diversification you need. If you pull up the Vanguard equivalent of every single one of those categories that he just said, every single one of those investments is overlapping. So all of a sudden, there's you have, no, you have absolutely no diversification. Well, you can go buy an international mutual fund. okay? And he only advocates for mutual funds, which I have a problem with. You can go buy an international mutual fund that almost looks identically are identical to a large cap American growth mutual fund, right? Because in an international fund, unless it excludes America, includes American companies. Mm. So like literally, um, there is like zero diversification. That's just one. Don't get me. Go listen to my podcast. It, it sounds Stuff like about it. money.com, right? Yeah. There. What you're going to get me all fired up when you, you say you have three minutes and then you're going to ask me a question. About Dave Ramsey. That is unfair, dude.
0: Again, I make no apologies at all. I thought it would be enough to, to tease people. Uh, if you want to shoot me a link to that podcast, I'll include it in the show notes for if somebody wants to uh, you know, listen to 30 minutes of railing against the evils of Dave Ramsey's advice.
2: I don't rail. Oh, come on. You There's rail. No let's be honest. It's super, it's super professional.
0: It's so much more fun when super you rail, though. You're such a good complainer. I love it. Like, your complaining is entertaining for me because you do it so eloquently.
2: I'm a, I'm a professional, James.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. We officially just crossed an hour of the recording. So, when we add the intro and the bumper, this is like an hour and five minutes. So, I'm going to hand you the mic and say, take it home, baby. What do you want to end on? A- anything you want to talk about. Time is yours.
2: Yeah, awesome. A- insurance agency owners, go to uh, agent com. If you're an agency owner and you want to work with a financial planner who like understands the grind, I'd love to have a conversation with you. So agent, com. Follow the podcast, stuffaboutmoney.com. Money touches everything you do, y'all. Make sure you're making good decisions.
0: Stuffaboutmoney.com. That was the link to the podcast? That's right. Okay. Dude. Is that it? You want to end there? You're gonna come on later, a few yeah. months from now. I mean, like I like
2: Yeah, like like what do you want me to say? Like plan wisely dot com, email me. Like how do you how, how do your guests close out your uh, show? It's, bro, JJ? It's,
0: it's whatever you want, man. The time is yours. How do you want people to communicate with you? What's your favorite platform for social? Is it LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Yeah,
2: I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram. You can find all that on my website plan-wisely.com. That's probably the best place. All roads lead back to plan-wisely.com.
0: Plan-Wisely. agent-endgame
2: agent, agent agent-endgame.com goes there. Stuff about money goes there. And all all roads lead back to plan-wisely.com. Well, that's com. easy enough.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, that is uh that's how we're going uh to end the episode then. I honestly at this point I've I've batch recorded Quite a bit the last few, like two or three weeks. I have no idea what episode number this is. I think we're late July uh, in a release at this point. Uh, So I will get back to you when I know what for sure the release date is and put all this stuff in the show notes so people can check out your content and your other episodes. So this was really good, man. I I expected it was going to be something like this when you have someone like yourself on on my show. We can skip a lot of the formality and the pleasantries and just talk shop and have some fun. So Thanks for kicking it around with me. Yeah, man. Awesome. Well, hey, folks, that's the end of another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Y'all make it a great day, and uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go.
3: carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes so you give me an auto quote i can do five to ten carriers in three to seven minutes how are we doing it we're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence give us a call check us out you can ask for me personally i'll do the demo for you who are they cast certified